This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So this, this week's like the fast run through. So chapter one, two weeks ago, we looked at how Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons went, left God's land and left God's people and went off to Moab and uh, lived in a, a pagan country, uh, an idolatrous country, and uh, everything was bad for them. They, all they had was just death. Death came to Elimelech, so left Ruth a widow. Death came to her too. Her two sons married Moabite women and death came to those two boys. So there's basically three women. Two of the women, Ruth and Naomi, come back to Bethlehem because there's now food. There'd been a famine which had caused them to leave. And they came, they come back and Ruth is very angry and very bitter. She says to the people of the village Bethlehem, uh, the Lord, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And she's very angry. And then last week we looked at in chapter two how um, because she's angry and because she's bitter, she's, she's become very, very passive. She's become uh, expecting perhaps people to provide for her. Uh, she's come back to Bethlehem. Maybe she's expecting the people of Bethlehem, God's people, to provide for her. And we said how it's very, very easy for us to believe a, a gospel, believe a, a, a story that's, oh, actually, everybody's here to provide for us. I was just chatting to somebody in the break. And it's so easy for, for us to think, oh, church is there to provide for our needs. No, church is about catching up isn't a bigger story. And Naomi's paralyzed by thinking, who's going to meet my needs? But Ruth, who's, who's basically said to Naomi, your people are going to be my people, your God, the God of Israel is going to be my God, she's not passive. She takes action and she get, goes out and kind of picks up stalks in the field. And we said how God is, is really committed to us taking action. When, when we act, he acts. When we take a step of faith, when we do something then he acts. And one of the things that I just observe, not in this church necessarily, but in society, is we just expect people to do stuff for us. Life comes to us. Everything's down the internet, everything's in TV. We sit on our sofas, life's come to us. And actually, no, Ruth doesn't expect uh, life to come to us. She goes and believes that God's out there in the big stuff. God's out, out there in the small stuff, and she does the small stuff. And in the small stuff, she ends up at the field of this man called Boaz. And Boaz is one of her relatives, and he's amazingly kind to her. Uh, says, you can gather as much uh, corn or much barley as you want. And she goes home that first day from the barley harvest absolutely loaded up with, with barley. So much so that uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, this is amazing. And actually, when, she's been, when uh, people have been so kind to her, Boaz have been so kind to her, uh, Ruth says, who am I to deserve loving kindness like this. And when we talked last week about loving kindness, is this is a Hebrew word that we don't have a word for. It means hasid, and it talks about the idea of freely given sacrificial love. Freely given, 
unfailing sacrificial love. And Boaz shows that to her because that's what's been shown to his mother who'd been a prostitute, a foreigner, and found her way into Israel. And they, the people of Israel had shown her this unfailing, generous love of God. And so Boaz shows that to Naomi, a foreigner, vulnerable lady, shows the kind of blessing, the unfailing love of God to her. And, and she says, uh, what have I done? She says to Boaz, what have I done to receive this loving kindness? And uh, Boaz prays for Ruth. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge, fully reward you for what you've done. So that's where we got to. So if you think, oh, I don't know the book of Ruth, that was like a two-minute quick summary of the first half. We're going to land it today, hopefully. Okay, let me just pray. Father, we just uh, we love this little story of Ruth. Uh, we love her amazing faith. We love those little coincidences where you just seem to be and there just so happens of it and her order in her life. We love her faith to get out there. We love her commitment to small things. And Lord, we love what you're going to do with her in these next uh, chapter and a half through the story. And I pray, Lord, that you do something with us as we hear it, uh, that we won't just hear it passively, like Naomi, expecting things to come to us, but you'd, we, you'd hear it and you'd kindle faith in us and delight in you, Lord Jesus, and the gospel. So my title this morning is Boaz, Ruth, and the Gospel. And uh, let's uh, kick in. So um, uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, great. If you haven't, no worries, I'll read bits and pieces to you. So what happens is, as Boaz has been great with her, he eats with her, with Ruth, and he gives her loads of corn, as I said, and barley, and she comes home, and her mother-in-law says, this is amazing, you've got so much stuff. She came home with about a month's worth, where you were picking up the little uh, stalks of corn, you might get enough to feed yourself. Luckily, you know, if you were lucky, you might get enough for two days. But she comes home with 22 bushels, which is basically a month's worth of food. And she's just like, whoa, this is amazing. Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, where, where did you go? She said, I was in the field of this man, Boaz. Naomi gets really excited and says, oh, wow, he's one of our family members. And so let's just read from the beginning of chapter 3. One day. So I reckon it, there were 10 years in Moab, probably 10 weeks in the barley and wheat harvest. And then what happens in the next bit of the book happens in 10 hours. So it's an interesting kind of 10, 10 years, 10 weeks, 10 hours. So it's one day to, towards the end of the barley harvest, in the wheat harvest. And so, you know, probably 10 weeks later after that first instance, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time I, I found a permanent home for you. Or it's time you got a fella. So that you'll be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours and he's been very kind, letting you gather grain with his young women or the women that worked in his fields. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Well, basically with barley, what you do, or I'm an agriculturalist, but basically you have to thresh it, which means you basically bash it on the ground and to get all the, uh, all the stalks and stuff. And then you're left with the, the, the wheat and then you've got to, once that's been battered, you've got to throw that up in the ground and it blows the skins of the, the husks of the wheat away and you're left with the grain. So that's what they're doing. And you tend to do that at the end of the harvest. So it's almost like end of harvest. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. I love uh, the instructions here. It says, take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, 
But don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Obviously, Naomi knows blokes. Let him have his eat. Let him have his drink. Let him lie down. He'll be all in a good mood. Be sure to notice where he lies down. It's outrageous what what she says, isn't it? Then go and uncover his feet and lie there. He will tell you what to do. We'll come back to that. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. About midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. Probably felt my feet are cold. And turned over. And he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your maidservant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your duvet or covering over me, for we are family redeemers. It's outrageous, isn't it, what she's getting up to? The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. He understands what's going on, actually. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you've not gone after younger men, whether rich or poor. Do not worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in the town knows that you're a worthy woman. But but while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there's another man who's more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I'll talk to him. And if he's willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you or marry you myself. Now lie down here till morning. So Ruth lay at Bose's feet till morning, and then but got up before it was light enough for enough people to recognize her, for Boaz said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, now bring your cloak and spread it out. And he measured out uh, six massive scoops of barley and put them into cloak and placed it on her head. Obviously, it's so heavy she can't carry it, she puts it on her head. And then Boaz returned to the town, into Bethlehem, uh, when, and then Ruth went back to her mother-in-law. When she got there, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? How did it go? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, and he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, there's a bit of a joke here, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. They all know that she'd come and said, oh, God's given me nothing, I'm empty-handed. says, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Obviously, that doesn't go well. And then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he settled things today. Uh, Naomi's come to this conclusion that Ruth needs to get it... Get something sorted. She needs, she wants to bring uh, Ruth and Boaz together in a decisive manner. It's interesting that Naomi starts bitter and, and she moves from bitterness to hope and she moves from passivity to action. Why does she do that? Because actually, uh, Ruth has discipled her. It's almost like a little pair, a little prayer group, a little couplet, a little three, where Ruth has actually been the one who's been active and full of hope. And now that, that activity and that sense of hope has rubbed off on her. And it's, that's how it is in church life. That if, if, if we're all miserable, if we're all grumbling, if we're all saying, no, isn't it terrible? Well, that rubs off. But if we say, no, God is with us. God's around the corner. God's able to do something. Who knows what's happened? Ten years of pain, ten, uh, ten weeks of blessing, now ten hours. God may do something amazing. And we need to have that sense of expectation because hope rubs off on people. And Ruth's faith has rubbed off on Naomi. Now, obviously, at the end of the grain harvest, it's a bit like Harvest Festival, but a bit more fun. Obviously, Harvest Festival in uh, in Bethlehem was a lot more exciting. What they do is they finish the they finish the harvest and they have a big party. 
obviously it'd been hard work, 10, 10 weeks of slog, getting the grain in. There'd probably be a huge pile of grain in this threshing floor. They'd be throw, banning it on the ground and throwing it up in the air. And they're completely exhausted. So they have this party. And Ruth thinks, this is the perfect moment. The men have been eating and drinking. Uh, and it's all going to be good. It's going to be dark and secluded. Boaz is going to be relaxed. So Naomi puts this plan, and it sounds like, doesn't it, it sounds like she's sending Ruth off to seduce Boaz, doesn't it? Have a bath, mm-hmm. you know, uh, put on some perfume, put on your best dress, go lie next to him and do what he says. I wouldn't give my daughter that advice. I would say, now, Damaris, you know, if you fancy this bloke, just have a nice bath, put on some perfume, put on your best dress, just go lie next to him, lift his duvet, go lie next to him and say, whatever you want, I'll do. So this is not this is not advice about how to get a bloke, although it does work. <laughs> it's interesting, and and so I thought about this, and I thought, what, what's going on here? What's going on here? And, I, and when I don't understand what's going on here, that, it's my job to dig into it to help you to understand what's going on. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that actually Naomi, her husband, had, uh, sorry, Ruth, well Naomi's husband had died. And Ruth's husband had also died. So, the key to this, I think, to help you understand it, is she is wearing morning clothes. Not early morning, but morning clothes. She's wearing probably black. It might be some sort of, you know, burqa type thing or a hajib or whatever. She's wearing clothes that are very baggy, probably, uh, probably black, uh, you know, a veil, nothing showing her head, her hair. And she's obviously working in the fields with this stuff on. And when she, arri- when, when she arrives at the fields, suddenly, why does Boaz notice her? Because, oh, there's a woman over there who's clearly a widow, who's working in the fields. She's clearly a widow because she's wearing these morning clothes. And there's this amazing interaction, come and eat with me, my daughter, and here have food, and, and you can pick up as much stuff. And obviously, Naomi's thinking, Ruth, this is it, this is the moment, tomorrow, next day. Ten week passes, and Boaz never does anything. Now, he might have been a typical guy in his early 30s, who actually lacked the confidence to say, come on, there's a girl I fancy, but I don't think that's what's going on here. I think the reality is, there's, she's in her mourning clothes. And he said, I need to keep away. It's respectful. She's mourning. Sometimes women would wear their mourning clothes not just for a, a year, but they'd often wear them two or three years. Because they're, what they're saying is, uh, you know, I, I, I still respect my husband. Respecting your husband and family was massive, and it still is in that culture. So you often find, you know, in Syria, terrible stuff in Syria, hasn't it, that's been happening. But you'll find a lot of the women dressed in black in mourning clothes. They may have lost their husband one, two, three years. And she's in that... It's in those morning clothes. And I think Naomi says to, to Ruth, time to get your morning clothes off. Time to put... A, a death is at its say. Death has done its stuff. Morning and feeling bad has ha, had its day. Time to put that behind you. And to dress up and look good. Yeah, that's real. She's saying, put behind you morning. And I would say some of the things... What's really hard sometimes in, the, in, in our lives is to put death behind us. Sometimes you can, uh, you know, there's a physical death. As I've said, my father died at 17. I felt it took me a while to put that behind me. And it still shapes me in some ways. But often other stuff, tragedy, death can happen to us. Sin and death, they're linked together in the Bible. They often can happen to us. And sometimes those things are done to us or we do them to people and we find it hard to put them behind us. 
I think particularly for ladies, you know, it's, it's so massive in our culture, a divorce. It's very hard for, 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 for ladies, blokes as well, but for ladies to put that behind you, you feel that defines me, that event defines me. And Naomi says, that event is no longer going to define you, you're going to be defined by something else. And so she puts on her, uh, her best stuff, she puts on her best perfume, uh, she has a bath, she looks, she looks pretty good. And uh, it's interesting, she, uh, Naomi says, just stay at the edge, don't get involved when the party's on. We don't get the wrong idea. And then obviously she goes down and she says, lie down at his feet. Um, I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Things could have got a bit dicey here. You know, things could have got a little bit racy. Things, it's a little bit of a delicate scheme. What if Boaz had woken up and think, hey, here's a pretty lady. Let's, let's do it. It did happen. It happens in our culture. It did, it did happen. But th- there's a sense where Boaz could have misunderstood what's going on. It's interesting. He doesn't know who she is, does he? Why is that? Because he's only ever seen her in her morning clothes and suddenly, whoa, wow, you're interesting. But he doesn't respond by saying, yeah, come on under my duvet and we'll get it on. Interestingly, in, in, the, in the culture of the time, to, to, to say to somebody, cover me with your duvet, wasn't saying, let's have sex, but was saying, will you marry me? Because obviously they tried to get it in the right order. They tried to get the marriage before the sex in that culture. And so that, that, that she's, saying, she's saying to Boaz, will you marry me? And, but there's a sense where they're trusting Boaz's character. We're trusting Boaz's character. Here's a little test, guys. What would it be like if you found yourself, say, I, I don't know, let's say West Point, if you were going, or somewhere you were camping, and uh, some attractive lady just comes and climbs into your bed and says, I smell good, I'm here, wash myself, bath, put my clothes on. What do you think? What would you think about? Yeah? What would you think about? It's an integrity test. How are we with other ladies? Um, what's going on. It's interesting, actually, just on that one. I think sometimes blokes do need a hint, though. Yeah? <laughs> I've got a really good friend of mine called Jonathan, who was a friend of mine in Manchester, and um, he fancied this girl. And, uh, and, this, and he, I said, Jonathan, just ask her out. Oh, but what? What should we do? And what if she says no? And what if she doesn't like me? I said, what have you lost? She'd just say no, and you just, you know, you feel a bit ashamed for a while and cope with it. So he said, oh, I didn't. I said, come on, man. If you like her, get her phone number. You know, sort it out, Jono. Anyway, he didn't. And then about a week later, I see him. He's bouncing around like Tigger. He's like, wee, come on. I said, what happened? She said, she texted me and said she likes me. Now, they're married now, aren't they? Yeah? Girls, it's a shame, really, that you have to give the guys a hint, but sometimes you do. Okay, so, um, yes. So, he says, who are you? And then Ruth replies, your maidservant. Maidservant there, it means I'm ready for marriage. It's most often used for virgins. She's not a virgin because she's been married before, but it's basically saying, I'm available. I'm available for marriage, though. I'm available for marriage. And it's not some illicit intent. And then she says, spread the corner of your duvet over me. Spread the corner. And it's interesting, actually, that uh, I put here, I don't know if it's relevant. It's a bit like that song, isn't it, by Beyonce, what's it called? If you like it, you better put a ring on it, yeah? 
Yeah? And that's what she's saying. She said, if you like it, put a ring on it. Spread my duvet over. Saying, actually, if you like me, I'm asking you to marry. She's giving him a big hint. Please, will you marry me? Um, and it's interesting. I think this whole thing about um, spreading your duvet over. What did Boaz say to Ruth? There is an application. It's all at the end this week. Um, what did Boaz say to Ruth? about the prayer, he said, may the God of Israel under whose wings you've taken refuge. She's basically saying, can I, rescue, can, I, can I be under your wing? Can I come under your duvet? Can I come under your covering? She said, because you are my family redeemer. Now basically, let's just unpick this idea about family redeemer because it doesn't matter. My family redeemer, the whole idea of a family redeemer was that if you were married... Has anyone got brother here? Who's got brothers? Okay, so you, so your brothers are married. So if your, if your bro, if your brother died, it, it said in, it says in Deuteronomy, um, twenty-five. In that time, you have to marry your brother's wife, and um, <clears throat> and make sure she had kids. If she hasn't got kids, you need to make sure she's got kids. All right. So that was happening. It's called a kinsman redeemer. Yeah? Now, some of you might look at your brother's wife and think, oh, no way. <laughs> some of you might look at your brother's wife and think, oh. but actually, it doesn't, it doesn't apply in our time. It doesn't apply in our time. But in that time, because the, a woman on her own had no identity, it's shocking, really, a woman on her own had no identity, had no property, had no security, had no sense of someone to look after her. The whole purpose was your brother, if, if you died, your brother or the nearest relative would marry you, sleep with you, so you could have kids, so that kid could grow up and carry your family name because women weren't allowed to own property. If, if there was a, no man in the family, the land would be lost. And that's the second thing that a, king, a, a family redeemer would do. That it, it says in Leviticus 25 that the land, you can't sell the land. It's interesting, isn't it, how we find in our economy, a bit of politics here for you, in our economy, the rich gather more and more and more and more. The only time that doesn't happen is when there's war. I'm not so suggesting we should have a war. But the rich gather more and more and more. I was looking this week in the... The inequality gap has got bigger and bigger and bigger. 2% of the people in the UK own 30, 25 to 30% of the wealth. 100 families more own more than the bottom 5 million. Massive inequality. God puts it on the ground. No, we'll give you all a bit of land, and it's not to come out of your family. That's your income. That's your sense of who you are. That's where you're from. But also, the land represented your relationship with God. So when Elimelech left the land, he's basically saying, I'm done with God. But actually, so when land was to be sold, uh, when land was to be sold, the person who was to buy it was a family member. Okay, so to keep it in the family. So the name would be carried on. So basically, this is what she's saying. She's saying, will you do that for me? I'd like you to be the one that does it for me. But also, there's something in there, she says, she's basically saying, will you cover me? What does she need covering? She needs covering shame of being a widow. I'm not saying she should have had shame, but in her culture, she would have shamed. She needs covering economically from, she would need someone to buy Naomi's land. She needs covering physically. You know, you can work with that word if you want. She needs covering physically. She needs to have children. 
And she's saying, would you cover me? Would I, could I, would you be the answer to your own prayer? Would you be the one who provides it for me? Boaz's answer suggests he didn't need to think it through. Imagine someone comes to you and says, look, will you marry me? I never even quite noticed you, you know. You were just the lady in the black over there. I was very generous to you. Now you're saying, let's get married and have kids. And you're also saying, will you buy a half my, buy, buy the farm? And you know, but Boaz doesn't think it through for a minute. So what I think he's kind of been, he's already been working it through. I, I quite like this lady. I like her hard work. I like her faith. I like her commitment to her mother-in-law. And so he says this. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz exclaimed, you are showing even more family loyalty than you did before because you've not gone after younger men, whether rich or poor. Naomi could have, Ruth could have said, sack it. I'm not going to marry some old, well, he's only 35, we reckon. I'm not going to marry some 35-year-old guy. People got married young in those days. Yeah, I'm not going to marry a 35-year-old guy. I'm going to go after some groovy 20-year-old who's, you know, who's fun or I'm going to go after some, some other rich person. She says, no, 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 I'm putting those aside. It's not about sex and money. It's about commitment and loyalty to my family. So she says, he says, well done. You chose me. I think he's slightly flattered. <laughs> slightly flattered. Whoa, yeah, yeah, you, you fancy me? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm really chuffed with that. She says, he says, you're showing your family more loyalty than you did before. You've not gone after younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I'll do what's necessary for everyone in the town knows you're a worthy woman. Now, that sounds all good, doesn't it? You dress up, you look cool, you go on, you smooch on in under the blanket, you say, how about it, baby, will you marry me? And she goes, yeah, let's do it. And you get them to the front of church and said, how do you propose? Well, it went like this. <laughs> Not we went on the beach, got down on one knee, and it was chucking it down with rain, and you know, whatever it was, you know. But there's this sense of, oh, that's gone well, hasn't it? But there's a slight problem in the ointment. There's a fly in the ointment. It says, ah, let me just tell you, Boaz has done his research. He fancies her. You know, if you fancy a woman, you, you, you do your research, don't you? You know? You think, well, on Facebook, I'm going to friend her on Facebook, find out what she likes to do, find out where she likes to go, see if there's any other blokes involved, see if she's, you know, look at those pictures, find out. If you don't do that, there's a little tip for you people. <laughs> but you do, don't you? You think, ah, oh, what's going on? And uh, Boaz has done his Facebook work. He knows what's going on. He thinks, ah, fancy her. There's a slight problem. Slight problem. Obviously, Boaz isn't married. I think he's looked after his elderly mum, Rahab. And he's not got married. Whatever reason, we don't know. He's not married. But there's a slight problem. He says, he says, but while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers who could marry you and buy your land, there's another man who's more closely related to you than I. Stay here tonight and in the morning I'll talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, and I'll let him, uh, let him marry you. I don't know what Ruth's thinking. I don't want him, but you know it, it's just—it's—it's it's awful. It's like a bit of she's like a bit of property, really. And when they go to do the discussion, she's like a bit of property. She's a bit rubbish. She says, "If he wants to marry you, then fine, let him marry you. But if he doesn't, he's really excited. If the Lord lives, I will marry you myself. Lie down here till morning." And obviously, goes off, comes back uh, to a uh, Naomi, and there's a and he go. Well, it went really, really well. He said yes. He, he, he did muck about with me. I'm it's okay, it's okay, and I'm fine. And he's brought all back this stuff, and he says, "Don't be. I don't want you to be empty." And now we think, he's having a go. And and then he says, "But but but, mum, there's a problem. There's some other bloke. 
And they're like, oh no, I wonder what he's like. This guy's like full of grace and compassion. He's lovely. What about this other bloke? So as you just, they just, Naomi just says, well, we better sit tight because he said we're going to sort it today. So you can imagine them. They're sitting there. It's like we've had a job interview, isn't it? And you're waiting for the phone to ring. They say, we'll ring you before five. And then they don't ring you and you think, and they're waiting for the phone to ring. And it's like, what's happening? He said, we're going to sort it. Now, interestingly, it was meant to be Ruth's job to go and sort it. Ruth was meant to go and find the nearest relative. Like, Ruth's supposed to say, well, well, will you marry me then? To this kind of random guy she's never really met. And will you buy, buy my land? And if he says, fancy your land, but don't fancy you, or fancy you, but don't fancy your land, unlikely to go that way, then what she was supposed to do, she's supposed to take her sandal off, smack him around the face. I love it, the Bible's great. <laughs> Deuteronomy, smack him around the face, spit in his face and say, you filthy so-and-so. Why would you marry me? Because it's a shame. It's a sense of shame. But actually Naomi sits at home, he's letting Boaz go. So Boaz goes off to the town gate, where all the, no, it's all the women have been working in the field. All the men are sitting at the town gate, they've probably got a couple of ales in, they've probably sat, watched the cup final, in repeat, and match of the day, and the interviews afterwards, and the podcast, and they've just, they're sitting there hanging out, and, the, and, Bo, and Boaz comes along, all right, how's it, Boaz? So, oh, well, you know, I've got something to say, and it says, it just so happened that the closest relative turns up, so, oh, well, great, come on over, closest relatives, and um, I've got something to say to you, would you like some really, really cheap land to buy? Uh, Naomi and Ruth are selling a Limelex land, do you fancy it? He says, yeah, great, call me in. And then they say, but will you, but you've got to marry Ruth. It's interesting how he puts it. He says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also, the language here is shocking, isn't it? Acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the dead man's widow. Do you think he could have sold her better? Ruth, the foreigner, the dead man's had sex with him. This widow, she's used department. Anybody? Do you fancy her now? Yeah, he's really... So why is Boaz doing that? Because he wants the guy to say no, so he can have her, doesn't he? So he's kind of... He paints this really negative picture, and the nameless relative says, hmm, I think I'll pass. What he doesn't want to do is share, share his estate with Ruth. Ruth's landless peasant... And this Mr. Other, nameless relative, presumably fairly wealthy as well, is happy to buy the land, but he doesn't want to share with Ruth's and her descendants. He doesn't want to share it with Ruth and her son. But Boaz is like, I want to do that. I want to share, I want to share it. Because it's a voluntary act. He wants to do it. So he says, no, I'm not going to. I won't marry you. So Boaz says, great, I will. So it says, so Boaz, verse, uh, chapter 4, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He made love to her, which is obviously part of the deal. Will you cover me with your duvet? She covers him. He covers her in other ways. He spreads his wings in another way. And the Lord enables her to conceive. She's not had kids before and he gave birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, notice they don't say it to Ruth. Ruth's just gone through childbirth. It's, they, they talk to the, 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 the mother-in-law. Praise be to the Lord who has this day not left you without a family redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel. He, this little kitty, will renew your life and sustain you in old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you better than seven sons, that's about the way ratio it worked with Naomi and the blokes in this story, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child in his arms and cared for him. 
the child was named Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of King David. Okay, so that's the story. Now you're thinking, well, all very nice. I've got five, ten minutes to, to say. So I could make observations about how do you get yourself a partner, how not to get a partner. You know, we could do this kind of marriage dating thing. Guys, make sure you do this. Do, girls, do, do that. Make sure you don't misunderstand, but give them a little hint and wear your best clothes. We could have done a little talk on that. Or we could have talked about how God is faithful and can turn around your life in a single day. We could have done that. Or we could, and, or we could have talked about how God, when you're empty, God can fill you with goodness. We could have talked about that. But actually, what I want to do is I've got a list, and I just sat and wrote them down this morning, a list of things the way this story is like the big gospel story. So that's what we're going to do. So what I want you to do is to turn to the person sitting next to you and think, I'll give you who's who. Boaz is like who? Jesus, yes, Sunday school answer. Boaz is like Jesus. Ruth is like us or the church, okay? And the unnamed relative is also like us, but in a bad way. Okay, so turn to the person sitting next to you and think, can you think of any way at all that Boaz is like Jesus or Ruth is like us. I got a lot. I'm not going to ask you for them. Don't worry, I'm just going to race through. Just see if you get them. It's a little quiz. Okay? See how many you get. So turn the person next to you. I'll give you a minute. Let me race through them. So the whole story of Ruth. How, does this, how is this like the big story? How is it like our story? First parents, Adam and Eve. Naomi and Elimelech. What does Adam and Eve, what happens to them? They get kicked out of the garden. They go to a foreign place. They get kicked out. They're sent away. And death comes to them. Yeah? Naomi and uh, Elimelech and Naomi go out of God's place, out of God's land. And what happens? Death comes to them. Bet you didn't get that one, did you? Net Ruth, she's a stranger and a foreigner cut off from God's people. Israel, how does that relate to us? That's how we are. We're strangers and foreigners. We're not Jewish. God, Israel's God's not our God. We're strangers and foreigners cut off from God's people. Cut off by what? By sin. Not ethnicity, but by sin. Separated from God. So that's what Ruth's like. Okay? Our only hope is under God's wings. Our only hope. Ruth knows that. We did that chapter 1. Boaz is the family redeemer of the near relative of Ruth. Let me tell you this one. How is Jesus like Boaz? How does he, how's Jesus become our near relative? Think about this one. He is a redeemer. Yeah, we know the song. But how does he become our near relative? What does he do? He comes, yes, Tom, he becomes incarnate. He becomes a man. So he's not just far away, distant. He becomes one of us. He becomes human, so he becomes humanity, joins the family of humanity. So he's no longer distant from us, but he's one of us. He's one of the family of born of God, of the children of God, of people of God. He's one of the family. So that in that sense, he becomes our, uh, takes on human flesh to identify with us, so that he can redeem us. Yeah? Okay, so he becomes one of us to be our brother, our family redeemer. Who is going to help me? In my sin, who's going to help me in my broken life? I need a family member. Whoa, here's Jesus. Number four. Boaz first blesses Ruth. He does much more than the laws required. He says, he doesn't just say, you can gather a few stalks from my field. He blesses her and gives her much, much more than the law required. How is Jesus like that? Grace. Go on. 
Abundant, yes. God doesn't treat us just as we deserve. He gives us abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. The word is hasid. He gives us unconditional love and grace. That's what Boaz does to Ruth. That's what Jesus does to us. Superabundant, cascading kindness, immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. Okay? And Jesus, Boaz fulfills God's law and goes beyond it. Jesus fulfills God's law because he never does anything wrong. He's perfect in every way. Boaz's love and faithfulness ends Ruth's mourning. Don't want to play with that one? Jesus turns our mourning into dancing, even with a scripture quote. Well done. Jesus' love and faithfulness turns our mourning, our death, into life. Brilliant. Okay. Ruth doesn't run after other men, but keeps herself for Boaz. Faithfulness. Thank you, Jace. Church, don't go after other things. Keep yourself for Jesus. Boaz loves Ruth and willingly covers her with his covering. Jesus loves the church. And what does he cover of us? covers us with his, with his blood and covers our sin and shame. So his, his Hasid, he's freely given unfailing sacri- love, sacrificial death for her, covers her shame. In fact, the whole idea of atonement and covering, you can play with that if you're clever. Okay, so next one. Boaz is the one willing to pay the full price for Ruth, to redeem Ruth. Jesus, play the game, it's good, it's fun. Jesus... Pays the full price by dying on the cross for us. A price that nobody else could pay. Nobody else was willing to pay. I I love that song, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. There is a green hill. He only could redeem us. He only could unlock the gate, a feminine letters in. So Jesus is the only one who's willing to pay the price. Boaz's willingness to redeem Ruth, removes the shame of the nameless family member, the relative who couldn't keep the law. Jesus fulfills the law because we're the nameless family members who couldn't keep the law. We couldn't do what the law asked us. Can you do that? Could you redeem Ruth? Could you marry them? I can't do it. But Jesus fulfills the law. He allows us to do what the law requires of us. Here's Here's a good one. Boaz's act means that his relative is not beaten around the face with a sandal or spat upon. Interesting. Jesus said they beat him round the head and spat upon him. Jesus is beaten around the head and spat upon because in the place of us, the true law breakers. Ruth does nothing to redeem herself, but waits with Naomi. We can do nothing to save ourselves Jesus does it. Where does Boaz go? Outside the city gate. Where did Jesus go? Outside the city walls, crucified at Calvary. Jesus achieves our redemption alone, isn't he? He's crucified out the city. Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. He loves her in an unbroken relationship with her. Jesus takes the church, us, to be his bride in an unbroken relationship with her. Boaz shares the whole estate with Ruth. Anyone want to play with that one? We get to go to heaven? 
We share Jesus' inheritance. Okay, we share Jesus' inheritance. Whereas the other one says, I'm not willing to share my inheritance with her. Boaz says, I'll share all that I've got with her because I love her. And he's, Jesus has shared all that he has with us. The unsearchable riches of Christ, as Paul says. We are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that's coming to him is coming to us. Boaz ensures the family name will not be wiped out. Anyone want to play with this? I've got two more. Oh, one more after this. Boaz ensures the family name will not be wiped out. Think name. You're so good, Andy. <laughs> We've been given a name. We are, we are named with his name. Instead of our name being carried on, sinful Howard's name being carried on, it's his name that's going to be carried on forever. It's the line of kings. We're adopted into the line of kings. His name is the name by which all can be saved. Actually, I've got two more. Ruth's marriage to Boaz ends her childlessness and gives her a son. Yeah, he gives us life. Actually, Paul talks about being married to the law as a fruitless husband. It's, you never, no life comes. We should be people who show the fruits of Jesus' character in us. And also, we should have gospel children. It's really important. God, give us salvation. Give us gospel children. Last one. Just as Boaz redeemed the land, Jesus is going to redeem the whole earth. Wow. Isn't it a great story? just makes you think, Jesus is this true and better as Boaz, who redeems us who gives himself for us, who shares all that he has with us, who pays the price to set us free, who, who, who adopts us in his family, who gives us his name, who takes away death and gives us life. What a great saviour he is, isn't he? It really matters that we understand the Bible because the Bible's got authority more than my exhortational words. Yeah? The Bible says, thank you John, the Bible says that it's true. Our job is to believe it, to say, yes, I believe that whatever my circumstances, whatever my shame, whatever my sense of death, whatever the things that are trying to define me, I am married to someone else who's going to define me, catch me up in his great story. God wants to do two things, uh, particularly today. I just feel that if you've, if you feel a sense of shame, Things that have done, things that have been done to you. If you feel shame and you think, if people really knew me, who'd really want me? You think, if I dress myself up and put my best clothes on and put the best perfume, I'm still too dirty. I'm still too messed up. Who'd want me? Lord, we just. We own our shame. But we say, Lord, thank you that you've come and you've come and covered us. And you've taken away our shame. Lord, I pray for everybody here who feels a sense of shame. Lord, I thank you that you're the shame remover. Come, Lord Jesus, by your spirit now and just remove that shame. Where well, I feel dirty. I feel not good enough feel my life could never be as it's meant to be because my sin and my shame. I pray, Lord Jesus, come and remove our shame.
The other question I want to ask you is, if, um, if you feel that there's been death in your life, both physically, but also like these are some events, some massively painful event in your life that's defined you and you're going around in your morning clothes, Jesus says, like Naomi to Ruth, it's time for you to find a permanent home. You just, if, you, if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but Lord, we just pray if people have been hurt and damaged and death has come to them in either death of relationships or death of hope or death of a, of a person, a family member, Lord, we just pray that, that you would do, as Adam quoted, that you turn our mourning into dancing. I pray particularly for those whose dreams have died. Who thought, oh, it was going to be like this. And it's turned out differently. I pray right now by your Spirit, Lord Jesus, that you would bring life. Your life would define us. Your hope would define us. Your story would define us. Your gospel would define us. Your beautiful Son, Lord Jesus, your beautiful Son, Father, the Lord Jesus, He would define us. So we just break it now in Jesus' name. It's a great story. We should be excited about it. Wow, how Jesus crafted it so wonderfully through a book a thousand years old of a woman who's vulnerable. He's doing the same for you. Uh, uh, if you'd like to be prayed for, just tap, tap the person next to you or the couple of people next to you and, and let, let's pray. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.